Broadcasting live from Roberta's in Bushwick, Brooklyn, you're listening to HeritageRadioNetwork.com. Welcome to Redig Plants on the Heritage Radio Network. We are broadcasting from two shipping containers outside of Roberta's Pizza in Bushwick, Brooklyn. I'm Carmen DeVito of Groundworks, Inc. My co-host, Alice Krieg, is at home with her new baby boy, Alden, and can't join us today. But Alice and I, together, we design and build gardens in and around New York City. And our show, Redig Plants, aims to bring the culture to horticulture. So to that end, on today's show, as spring is almost upon us, we are going to talk about the tools of the trade different kinds of garden tools. Um, Those of you that have been following our Facebook fan page have hopefully entered the raffle for the free $150 gift certificate that our guest, Blake Shrek of the Garden Tool Company, will be providing to a lucky winner. We're going to announce the winner on the Facebook fan page tomorrow, so stay tuned. Now, my garden tools are kind of like old friends. I've had the good ones for years, and they still provide good service as long as I keep them clean and oiled and sharp. But all too often, though, gardeners buy cheap, poor-quality tools that rarely make it through a season in the garden. We kind of think of them as disposable because we can just go to the local Home Depot or Lowe's and get another one easily. But it wasn't always that way, though. When our country was a nation of farmers, we valued our tools, and many were often custom-made locally to individual specifications or imported along with fine silks and sherries and delicacies from Europe. In fact, um, according to Sandy Levins from the Camden County Historical Society, shovels and dung forks were some of the most important possessions in colonial America. She writes that people's livelihoods directly depended on their garden tools, and the value of those tools also made them a common target for thieves, as illustrated by advertisements in the Pennsylvania Gazette. Here's an example. In 1763, Adam Reed of Lancaster County accompanied his local constable to a spot where they found Mr. Reed's stolen property, quote-unquote, hid in the ground. Among the purloined articles unearthed were four grubbing hoes, four shovels, and two spades. Can you imagine somebody stealing tools now? Highly unlikely. Um, In another case during the Revolutionary War, John Jones of Southwark left personal tools in the care of one Captain Christian Grover, quote, at the time of the approach of the enemy, unquote, to Philadelphia. In 1778, Mr. Jones advertised for the return of his property, promising that whoever returned his belongings would be rewarded in proportion to their trouble or expense. Among his prized possessions were two spades, five garden hoes, one grubbing hoe, and two dung forks. So if if you look at old ads from that period, you'll see that many of the tools we use today, such as spades, remain essentially unchanged in design, with the exception of possibly being made from 
lighter materials. In fact, also according to Sandy Levins, some of the oldest garden tools in the world date back many thousands of years. In fact, the first woody plant intentionally pruned by man is believed to have been the grapevine in Armenia around 6000 BC. And I think the oldest uh, tool that was ever found was a bronze spade, which closely resembles our more modern ones used by the Chinese as early as 1100 BC. But we have the Romans to thank for the kind of shape and pattern of the spades and shovels that we use today, because they harness the technology of the forge to heat the iron to its malleable point. And then in the mid-14th century, iron smelting made it possible to create lighter and sort of more precisely shaped tools. And then, of course, came the Industrial Revolution, bringing steel and alloys out of the fire and leading to the manufacture of tools that were lighter and finer and far more durable and rust-resistant, of course. But until the 16th century, gardening tools were simple, kind of basic and heavy, because they had evolved from agricultural implements that had been used for hundreds of years. But by the mid-17th century, when popular interest in sort of more decorative gardens exploded and gardeners had to be well-equipped, the illustrations from that period show for the first time a huge range of tools and accessories made for specific purposes in the garden. That's when we first see head shears, pruning shears, cultivating forks and trowels. In fact, almost every non-mechanical gardening tool available today has been around for more than 300 years. So today we have as our guest, as I said, Blake Shrek, who um, along with his wife, Anne, is the owner of Garden Tool Company, an online store specializing in garden tools for the gardener who's tired of buying crappy garden tools. They live in Fort Collins, Colorado, where they run the business out of their house. A small house that, according to Blake, has only two rooms that don't have gardening tools stacked in them, the kitchen and the bathroom. Blake, originally from Canandaiga, New York, which is in the Finger Lakes region, um, was a carpenter by trade. And he kind of became a tool geek while working with wood and learned that buying the best quality tools was always the right choice. But like so many gardeners, Blake would blindly go back to the big box store and replace crappy gardening tools with more crappy gardening tools season after season. But that all changed in 2009 when the Garden Tool Company was founded. Welcome, Blake. Thank you for having me. You're very welcome. So tell, tell our audience how the idea came to you for starting this company, this online company for fine gardening tools. Well, like you said, it was back in 2009 and... I'd been laid off from work, and my wife's work was slow, and, and we were looking to get into a business but didn't have any idea what, what that might be. Well, by chance, one day we were making enlarging our uh, beds out in the front yard, and we had just bought a, um, a lawn edger from one of the big box stores, and the first time I shoved it in the ground, it broke. I've had that happen. (laughs) I think everybody has. I think everybody's had that happen to them. Well, it was kind of one of those, you know, there's got to be better tools out there. So we started looking around, and sure enough, there were. We just, you know, we really didn't know about them, or they weren't that available. So so that's when we got the idea, and we started working on it, and uh, here we are today, you know. In fact, uh, you and I had talked about this. I worked for Smith & Hawken for quite a number of years, and at the time, they were one of the few purveyors of quality garden tools. They kind of 
prided themselves on importing the finest tools from England. They are unfortunately now defunct, but I remember they had a, a tool guru who would hand select and test all the tools before putting them in the catalog. And the tools would often have like a story that explained why they were the best and their manufacturer's history, etc. So how do you how do you decide, Blake, what tools you're going to carry in the catalog? What are the criteria? You know, it's it's not that much different than than what you're talking about. The guy. Smith and Hawking. Um, at first, we were a little naive. We we bought a bunch of tools that we thought gardeners might like, and we'd we'd buy a bunch of them and get in and, and get them in and find out that they weren't the quality that we wanted to sell. So, since then, you know, if we see something that that interests us or might interest our customers, you know, we buy one. You know, does how does it feel? Does it does it is it useful? Um, then we try to break it. You know, <laughs> I love that. <laughs> we really do. I mean, if if it, it it's got a, it, we'll jump on it. We don't have any fancy testing equipment like at no. underwriters laboratories, but right. we'll jump on it and we'll try to put it through the paces. Um, you know, if a garden says a hose manufacturer says it won't kink, it better not kink. Right. You know, so so we really we we go over them. Um, I have a good, pretty good idea of how things are supposed to be made or the, or. So I can I can look at a tool and and look it over and see, you know maybe they missed a weld here or they could have done this better or so so I you know being a tool geek that I am I I have an idea of how it should be made or um, and so that's kind of we go through that process and um, so you test the tools and then. In terms of the quality, let's try to have our audience understand the difference between, like, the materials used in a hand-forged, let's say, Clarington Forge spade versus one that you'll get from Home Depot. Now, let's say the Clarington Forge spade is 75 or an $80 tool or maybe more, right? And sure. you can go and get a $20 spade uh, at, at Lowe's from some other, you know, other company made in China. What's the process like in making that hand, um, that handmade spade that's different from, um, from the, you know, the cheap steel that you get at Lowe's? Okay. Well, um, the cheap steel, like you'd get at a, a box store, um, it's a single thickness and they have a big sheet of, of steel. That's a single thickness. Mm-hmm. Um, and they put it into a big stamp and stamp out the, the shape of the tool. And that's it. They're done. They're done with it. Right. Um, it's it, they make a thousand. They make thousands of them a day. Mm-hmm. Um, with something like the Clarington Forge, or the Bulldog Tools, um, they take a single piece of of steel, a chunk of steel, and they make it red hot, and they put it through a series of um, presses and forges, and step by step, they make that chunk of steel, which is usually about an inch thick or starts out an inch thick by, say, 12 inches long by 6 inches wide, and that one piece of steel turns into, they stamp it into um, a single piece that is that is the, um, the spade. Um, they roll, the, the thickness on the blade is thinner at the end where it needs to be to be sharp enough to go in the soil, but mm-hmm. thick enough up towards the handle where the most stress is going to be. So... You ultimately get a tool that's that's you know a lifetime tool that will never break. 
I can vouch for that. Of course, when I was at Smith & Hawk and I took advantage of my discount and bought a lot of really great tools and that I still have. I mean, they are indestructible as long as you don't use them for the purposes that they're not intended for. Sure. And Smith & Hawk, of course, had you know lifetime guarantee. They were the most generous you know, of all of companies I've ever worked for. I mean, they would replace mm-hmm. plants that people had killed, which was infuriating. Um, you know, <laughs> as, as long as you as long as you don't use the shovel for what it's not intended to do. So many people use tools for prying and as crowbars and stuff. You know, I think that you'd get you would get decades out of the tool. You know, absolutely. We you know, we tell people that, you know, they will last forever, and, and pry bars are available at your local hardware store. Yes, yeah, and I watched, the, uh, there's videos on your website about how it's really interesting um, how, the, how it's actually tempered. How many times the steel goes into the fire, you know, to be hammered and heated and tempered to make it stronger? It's a very precise process because it, it you know, when they, when they beat it into shape, it, it loses some of the, its strength while it cools. Yeah. You know, so it's got to be continually heated back up and then quenched, as they call it, or cooled back down in a, in a um, very fast uh, process so that it regains the strength it needs and, um, but still be pliable enough to bend a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, for instance, the, the steel that they use in, 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 for instance, the Clarenton Forge, it's a high-carbon steel. Um, if by chance, say you're using your fork and you hit a rock and it bent one of the the uh, tines on it, you could bend it back into shape with a, a bar of some sort, and it wouldn't lose any of its strength. Uh, typical steel, once you bent it and tried to bend it back in state in its um, shape, you would lose all the strength in it. So that's another another nice thing about the the higher end tools. Yes, and also they're designed so that um, the wood that's selected, uh, it's designed in a way that should the handle break, you can replace it. So many mm-hmm. tools now are designed in a way to be, you know, if they if they don't break immediately, if they break over time, and then you do want to replace a part, you can't. Mm-hmm. You know, you can't. And, and I- I think a lot of people don't know too with the wooden handles of the of the better manufacturers is that is that they are very picky about the wood that goes in their tools. Um, they may get a load of wood and throw out sixty uh, percent of the wood because it's it's not of the grain pattern that they're looking for in that to to fit into their tool. That's interesting. Do they use mostly ash? Is that correct? That's correct. And now they're getting into more sustainable woods. Is that true, Blake? A little bit. Uh, all of our uh, the, the major manufacturers that we buy from all use um, wood from uh, FSC uh, certified forest, which is the Forest Stewardship yes. Council. So that's a really good thing. Uh, they're they're sticking with a wood that that has been used for centuries but they're doing it more responsibly. And what is it particular about ash that makes it a good wood for a tool handle? It has, um, it's, it's very strong, but it has some resiliency. It will, it will bend a little bit. Um, it, takes vib- it takes a lot of the vibration out of, out of the work that you're doing, so it's not so hard on your hands. It's, it's better than most woods like that. Hickory is a very extremely strong, but it's so hard that it doesn't absorb the shock as well as the ash does. Okay, interesting. 
Um, and I know we were talking about the Clarington Forge, which which is an English tool company. More than two hundred. It's from seventeen eighty. They've been making tools for correct. Yeah, for more than two hundred fifty years. And I noticed there were quite a lot of Dutch and English tools in the catalog. Are 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 there any tools that are made in America that are worth uh, keeping <laughs> and using? You know, there's there's a lot of American companies, but most of their tools are made overseas somewhere. Oh, okay. Um, you know, and they they. Typically, they're the big companies that have, you know, investors that they're trying to satisfy. They're they're not trying to make um, a, a better tool and a cheaper tool for the for mm-hmm. for you and I. They're trying to, you know, satisfy their investors. So typically, you, you get a really crappy tool. Right, uh, right. There are some there are some smaller ones. Um, we handle. We, there's about uh, six companies that are American-made that we do handle their tools, and um, some of them are still handmade. Um, there's a guy in Oregon, um, Bob Denman, that uh, makes red pig tools, and we buy f- tools from him, and he makes every one of them. He and his wife have a little operation, and he hand-makes every single tool. Wow. So there are some American-made companies, and we're, we're working with another company out of uh, North Carolina to start selling their tools and they've been making tools for over 125 years so there are some they're they're still small but they're one they're the ones that are hanging on saying you know we refuse to go the route of the big corporation and and you know we're not going to make crappy tools yes and it goes against the very nature of our consumer consumption-based economy you know buy, keep buying got to get the newest thing got to get the latest thing but as we were saying in the beginning of the show the design hasn't changed that much blake for hundreds of years you know they figured no. out long ago what what the right shape spade should be for different tasks um, so if you buy a good one, you'll keep it for a long time. And that just goes against what you were saying, corporations that are, you know, always trying to satisfy somebody besides the customer. Mm-hmm. But I digress. Well, we have to take a little bit of a break. Um, and when we come back, Blake, I'm going to ask you to put together a gardener's essential toolkit, items that every gardener should invest in and keep in their garden shed. So stay tuned to We Dig Plants. The following program has been brought to you by Kane Vineyard and Winery. Kane Vineyard and Winery supports Heritage Radio and the growing movement to change how Americans eat and how we think about our planet. For more information, visit www.kane5.com. 
Hi, welcome back to Reading Plants on the Heritage Radio Network. We're here with Blake Shrek of the Garden Tool Company. So, Blake, tell us, put together this Gardener's Essential Toolkit. What should every gardener have, invest in, and keep in their in their tool bag or in their garden shed to use? You know, I, I kind of have a hard hard time with this question. <laughs> um, it seems that every you know all over the internet, there's this magic list of gardening tools <laughs> um, that everybody should have, um, and I. I it's just really not that easy. Um, we have a, an article on our website that's the list of garden tools every garden tool must have or not. <laughs> um, and really, it's because there are so many different variables. Um, you know, you might have a large garden, um, a vegetable garden. You might have just a few raised garden beds. You may um, be strictly a flower um, flower bed and lawn person. Um, mm-hmm. You might have you might be a gardener on a you know that has a townhouse or an apartment balcony, right? So it really can you know be a, a crazy thing um, as to which tools are the best. Um, it's it's really for the particular gardening that you do. Um, well, for example, know, let's can, say what what pruner do you like? Okay, pruner. Mm-hmm. Pruner. Um, you know, I I am always up for the. The Felco. I mm-hmm. mean, they're they're nice. Um, there's there's a lot of good pruners out there, but it's hard to go wrong with a Felco. They've been making them for so long, and and they're really good. Um, if I had to make a list out, I mean, it would be. <laughs> <laughs> I, I would certainly include a, a garden spade and a fork. Yes, um, definitely, um, and probably a cultivator hoe. Um, either, and I'm gonna put this list of tools in there because they could go, um, you can buy them in different sizes. So it yes. would be a, a cultivator, um, probably a hand weeder, a trowel, uh, a good garden rake, um, a water hose, and a water breaker, a good pair of pruners, which we just mentioned, mm-hmm. and probably a wheelbarrow because you're probably going to be carting things around. Yeah, I would include all those things. And of course, you're going to, you're going to, you know, if you're if you're a container gardener, you're going to use smaller tools. One of my favorite sure. tools is the shrub rake. I love those shrub rakes, you mm-hmm. know, because you don't, you know, they're easy to carry around. And sometimes, you know, in smaller spaces, it's just easier to get out, get under the shrubbery and around, you know, different perennials and stuff if you have a smaller tool. Um, mm-hmm. Well, you'd mentioned the spades and the forks. And this, this leads me to another question. Um, I remember that there were different heights of spades and forks. Um, can you give, and, and also different shapes, different sizes, uh, and, and ones that are flatter, ones that are rounder. Um, can you, you know, can you give our listeners some tips on selecting like the right height spade and fork and, and the right shape and, and why that matters? Well, the, um, they used to make so many, um, well, they still make so many shapes, but sizes, um, not too many, um, companies make different sizes. In fact, um, Clarington Forge is the only one that, that still makes um, a garden fork and um, garden spade in three different sizes. Mm-hmm. Um, and the typical European um, handle that has the D or, or YD handle, wooden mm-hmm. handle, um, mm-hmm. it's available in a 32 and a, and a 28 inch. Right. Um, and we, you know, we really recommend that uh, most people use the larger the larger one, unless you're 
you know, really vertically challenged. Mm-hmm. Um, the larger one is going to be more comfortable. It's it's real easy with the type of, of work you're doing with a with a spade or a fork to um, do some real, you know, bad back problem, yes. back injury. Yes. With a, with a tool that's too small for you, bending over like that, with, and you're either lifting a lot of soil or you're really grunting with the fork. Mm-hmm. Um, back injury is a real real problem. So we, we recommend the, the, the taller one. Um, and both those tools are available in, in what I call the American handle because Americans have grown up with a handle that's, you know, as tall as they are. So you can opt for the longer handle as well. Right, yes. I prefer that, that D, that Y or D shape the best. Mm-hmm. First of all, it makes, you know, slinging it over your back easier. <laughs> you can carry it with you. And I feel like it gives you some leverage that, you know, the palm of your hand, you know, going through that ring helps, you know. It's a more natural, it's a more natural hold or, or position for your hand to, ha- to hold on to that handle than it is a straight up and down um, Yeah handle to me and yes. it probably is to a lot of people yes and also i love when spades have treads for my feet because you're using a lot of force to push that spade in usually you know even though you some of it is your body weight but if it has a little tread it's so much easier on your on the bottom of your feet you know so sure. so one of the ones that have those treads i always if i can find ones with treads i much prefer them you know sure if if you're using that one without the treads on it uh, all day long, and your your arches are going to feel it by the end of the day. And, yeah, and, unless you, know, anything you have that you, anything that you do in the garden that's that's going to be uncomfortable. You know, you're not going to want to do again. So you want to find something that's that's going to be most comfortable for you, the gardener. And it really makes a huge difference. A well balanced tool, even something as simple as a trowel. I found Blake. You know, you can get a trowel for ninety nine cents or a dollar ninety nine, or you can get a trowel for fifteen dollars or twenty dollars. And the difference on your wrist after a day of putting in annuals, you know, and digging lots of holes, makes you know is is enormous. Is sure. enormous. Just the you know the angle of the of the bottom of the trowel and the handle, you know how it feels in your hand. It's it's huge, it's really really huge. Um, it really is. The the um, the manufacturers that, that, of these tools that we're talking about that are lifetime tools, they've been making them all of them for over a hundred years. So they haven't been standing still with the shape of the and the weight of the tool. They've been perfecting it for a hundred years. So the tools that you're buying from them, you know, they've been perfecting for so long that you're getting a well balanced tool that just feels good in your hand. And speaking of hand tools, okay, everybody has to have a pruner. We were saying that's definitely in the list. You, you have to have a pruner in your toolbox. You can't use the, the chicken shears from the kitchen or scissors, although people do, and it's horrible. <laughs> but at least in my, in, my, in my household, the hand pruners are the most used tools in the box, and everybody has mm-hmm. opinions about which ones are the best ones, sure. and many people only buy one kind. But there's an important difference between pruners one um, is the ratchet kind and then there's the bypass type can you explain w- what each is and and how they're different and what they're used for well the, the ratchet um, is a somewhat new pruner uh, I think Florian an American company came out with that in uh, around 1960 mm-hmm. and what it does is um, it has a mechanism that uh, increases your strength um, so that you don't have to 
squeezes hard to cut through the branch. Mm-hmm. And um, while this is easier, the the design itself, um, to me, has a flaw in it because for the people that that would like that uh, or need that extra strength out of that tool, it opens so wide that they have to use two hands to use it. Yeah. Um, they they open so wide that. You know, you really have to, somebody with smaller hands really has to use two hands to use it. But it's, it's very, very similar to, um, the cutting action is very similar to an anvil cutter. Yes. That it, it's a, a sharp blade that goes against, it's similar to a, a, a knife on a chopping, a chopping block. Right. Um, one, one blade crushes down against the, the um, bottom. And is that used the, more for um, dry wood? Exactly, an anvil an anvil pruner is is actually better because it's more of a crushing action than it is a cutting action, like is in, in the bypass pruner. So it's actually crushing it. So it's better for um, woody plants or dead wood. Yes, that's um, what I found. Um, you know, the the ratchet ones are good when you have a, you know hard dry wood mm-hmm. rather than the the bypass, which is good for green wood. Exactly. And shrubby things. The, the, the the um, bypass pruners um, have essentially two blades, two curved blades that are cutting against each other like a pair of scissors. Yes. Um, that are going to make really, really nice, clean cuts. And the fact that if you if you have a, a really nice pair that is is very sharp, um, you shouldn't have any problem cutting through a branch that's three quarters of an inch thick. Yes. So yes. A good sharp. A good sharp. A uh, pair of bypass should be, you know, just as good as an old rat- ratcheting set as far as strength-wise, but you'd want to use them on green plant lighting, like you said. Yes, and, and if you buy a good quality pruner like the Felco, then you can get replacement blades, you know, if you do like everyone does and cut wire with it. <laughs> Although, Phil, yeah, everybody's done that. We've all fallen, you know, just don't want to go get the wire cutter for something, you know. But Philco actually has a kind of notch, I think, in the blade that's for wire cutters, for wire cutting so that you don't wreck the blade. But if you do need a spring or a blade, you can replace it. Even the handles, I think, are replaceable from the manufacturer. Am I right, Blake? Every, Every single part that goes into a Philco pruner um, is replaceable. And those are Swiss-made, so, aren't they? They're Swiss-made, the Felcos? Yes, they are made in Switzerland. Yeah, I mean, um, and there's tons of knockoffs. I mean, you know, made-in-China knockoffs that are nothing like um, the original ones. There are so many. I mean, you can go into any store, and, yeah. and you'll see at least five or six different ones that look exactly like the Felco, but are nothing like the Felco. No, you can tell. Well, Felcos are heavy. I mean, I like them. I use the... The number six, that's a smaller one for because my, my hand is smaller. That's, you know? that's a nice pair. Yeah, the number two is a little heavy for me, but that's kind of like the standard, you know? The number two is the original. Yeah. That's, that's what they started out with 65 years ago was the number two, and they've refined on it. Um, you know, they make so many different models today. Even a left-handed um, one, right? For left They hand- make two, two models that are left-handed. Um, yeah. One has a fixed handle, another one has a new innovation where the, the bottom handle twists in your hand, so if you're doing a lot of pruning, it's a lot less fatigue on your hand. Yeah. So it's well, nice. yeah, let's talk about, speaking of fatigue, weeding, uh, the bane of every gardener's existence. But if you don't want to apply chemicals, you have to do it by hand, as, as so many of us do. I won't apply chemicals. 
to any of the gardens that, that we build. Um, so you have to find the right weeding tool and, and the right weeding tool is going to save you a lot of time and backache. So are there ones that you uh, really like, Blake, that are, that are good all-purpose ones um, for weeding? Well, um, yeah, there are a lot of them. Uh, well, there's, there's probably as many different gardening, <laughs> I mean, weeding tools out there as, as there are gardeners. Yes. And in fact, you know, we probably get once a week somebody inquiring um, whether or not we want to uh, manufacture their, their newest, greatest weeder. <laughs> but um, a lot of manufacturers of weeders don't treat them like some of the better... The, um, better manufacturers of, of, like, the spades and the forks in that they don't make them as tough because they're a smaller tool. So right. um, they've got to be a tough to begin with. But the one that's most popular, and I, and I personally like, too, is, is the hand hoe. Um, it comes in right, in right or left. You're probably familiar with it from uh, Smith & Hawkins. It's um, the offset blade. Hand hoe. Right, right. Right or left-handed, mm-hmm. um, it comes to a point. Oh yes, yes, that's the Dutch hand hoe, right? Uh, right, and the Dutch hand hoe, and you know, it's called several different things by different, but most people call it. I think, um, I mean, it's called so many different things, but right. it's a, it's basically a hand hoe, and it's right and left-handed, but mm-hmm. it's small enough to get around in and around your plantings. Um, it's very sharp. You can turn it up on its edge and use it as a a crack weeder, um, so it's it's a good all around tool. Uh, it feels it's got you know about eighteen inches long. It's got good length, so you can reach to the back of your flower bed if you need to. Yeah, yeah. I love the Korean weeder cultivator. I use that tool um, a lot. <laughs> it's kind of like weed and plant at the same time. You know, chop out the weed, dig the hole. It's kind of got a heart shaped um, blade that's mm-hmm. curved. I love that tool, and I can't. That's- that's great, right? You sell a lot of those, I'm sure. That's on my, that's on my list. I mean, my list would include the, the, the Korean weeder. Mm-hmm. Um, the Cape Cod weeder is, is very popular. Um, it's a precision-type weeder, so it's it's not yeah. something you'd want to use if you had big beds, but no. it's, a, it's a nice little one. Um, the ever-popular fishtail or dandelion weeder, mm-hmm. um, good for deep-rooted weeds. Um and the hori hori knife. Oh God, or, I can't or, say enough good things about that. I love that tool. That is, I mean, it's it's the the MacGyver of of weeding tools. Yes, or, or gardening tools. Yes, it is. You know, it, it does everything. Yes, I've had mine for fifteen years. It has a serrated edge. Mm-hmm. You know, pointy. I use it for planting. I use it for cutting twine. <laughs> everything. Plus, it looks really cool. It's kind of it's got my this, wife's favorite tool. Yeah, it's got you know when you put it on your tool belt. It's got this kind of like crocodile Dundee, I'm bushwhacking through the, you know, outback feel to it. And also being in New York City, it's a, it's good in case somebody harasses you while you're gardening. You can just whack them with it. Um, and it's a- I, I gave one to my wife for Christmas. And when she opened it up in front of her family, her family thought, oh, my gosh, she bought her a hunting knife. <laughs> yeah, it kind of it does kind of look like that. Yeah. And there's a lot of knockoffs of that, too. Um, so you got to right. kind of get the real article, which is really strong and riveted, you know, because like I said, mine's 15 years old and it's still doing great. Um, exactly. Well, let's talk a little bit about if you're going to invest in, in, 
you know, good quality tools that are going to cost you, you know, a, a decent amount of money. Let's talk about tool care. Most people don't know how to properly sharpen and clean their spades and their pruners and their tools. Can you give us a quick primer on how to care for them so that they last longer? Well, I'm I'm as bad as or worse than anybody else about at the end of the day about wanting to go take a shower and put my feet up instead of cleaning the tools. But it's best at least to get the the biggest part of the of the dirt and soil knocked off mm-hmm. um, if you can and get them in a dry place because it, the longer they stay wet, the more chance of rust right. and deterioration. So get them somewhere where they're dry and, and get the get the dirt knocked off of them. Okay, but. Um, as far as sharpening, um, it's good to have good to keep them sharp. That way, you don't have to do so much sharpening all at one time. Mm-hmm. Um, and the most important, and to me, the most important part and the safe, the biggest safety thing about sharpening is somehow holding that tool still while you're sharpening, yes. so that you don't risk cutting yourself. So, if you have to clamp it down to a work table or something, or sit on it or whatever, make sure that tool still while you're um, using a file on it. Yes. Um, so that's that's a big thing. And the second thing, another thing is make sure you oil your tools. Yes. Um, and I'm not talking about like, uh, you know, I call it a wives' tale now, is getting a bucket of, of sand and pouring some oil in there and, and keeping your tools in that. Mm-hmm. Because you're just going to gonna transfer that oil right into your, into your garden. So mm-hmm. that's not a good thing. Mm-hmm. Um, Good alternative is is boiled linseed oil. Hmm. Um, it's a natural oil from the flax seed. Okay. Um, so it's not going to hurt anything, but it's going to keep rust off your tools, and at the same time, on the wood, it's going to keep them from drying out and cracking and, and event, eventually breaking. But um, just keeping them clean and in a dry place, and then keeping the oil on them and sharpening them every once in a while, it's it's going to go a long way. Well, that's really good advice, Blake. Well, I wish we had more time to talk tools. Unfortunately, our time has come to an end. Thank you so much for being on the show today, Blake. Well, thank you you so much. I've enjoyed it. Will will you share um, your website with our listeners? Yes, it's Garden Tool Company at www.gardentoolcompany.com. Great. And we're going to, we've had quite a few people enter the raffle. So we're going to pick tomorrow one winner. And Blake has generously offered a $150 gift certificate to the winner. So we've had a lot of responses to that. Um, uh, Thank you for listening to Weeded Plants on the Heritage Radio Network. The show will be available for listening via archive at heritageradionetwork.com and also via podcasts on iTunes. Thanks to our sponsor. And thank you to Jack Inslee for producing and engineering today's show. See you in the garden. Thanks for listening to this program on the Heritage Radio Network. You can find all of our archived programs on heritageradionetwork.com, as well as a schedule of upcoming live shows. You can also podcast all of our programs on iTunes by searching Heritage Radio Network in the iTunes Store. You can find us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter for up-to-date news and information. Thanks for listening.